All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Kings chapter number 20. 1 Kings chapter number 20. And uh, we're going to continue our, our lesson about Elijah. And uh, certainly it's an it's a interesting study, and I have enjoyed going through the life of Elijah. And I pray that, it, and I hope, and I pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement to you as well. 1 Kings chapter number 21, we're going to look at uh, the, the wicked. Last week we looked at the worker uh, in that Elisha was called by Elijah and how uh, God really used uh, Elijah to call Elisha and a lot of interesting things in that passage. And uh, this week we're going to continue. We're going to look at the wicked and that would be uh, really we're, we're boiling down to Ahab and Jezebel as the king and queen of Israel and the wickedness that they were uh, doing. You don't have a lot of details about what they were doing in the past other than the fact that they introduced Baal worship, they protected it, they brought it in, they allowed it to prosper and all of that, but you don't have the, the, the details of how they did that. And this week we're going to get into some details and really give us a view into how wicked uh, their lives really were. And the Bible says here in 1 Kings chapter 21, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed, and he turned away his face and would eat no bread." But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Let's stop right there. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your many blessings. Father, I pray that you would just use me. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray even for our sound system as we're struggling with it. And I pray, Father, that you would help it to work and uh, help us to be able to not be distracted by the, uh, the, the sound quality. But God, I pray that we would hear uh, what your spirit has to speak to our hearts and Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look in the life of Elijah, uh, we, we skipped a chapter here in verse number 20, uh, because really that is a history on Israel and what has taken place. And chapter 20 covers two years of wars that take place between Ahab and Ben-Hadad. Matter of fact, it's a very uh, interesting chapter, and I really encourage you to go back 
and read chapter 20 and fill in the gaps of what is taking place here between uh, the last time when Elijah calls Elisha to be a prophet and then the next time that he comes on the scene in chapter 21. And, uh, and so it's a really good chapter. Matter of fact, Ben-Hadad, who is the king of Assyria, uh, the Bible says this, while he was in charge of his armies and there was a battle against Israel, he was drinking himself drunk. Isn't that interesting? The Bible tells you that. And because he was drinking himself drunk, he made some very stupid decisions being in charge of the entire army. Matter of fact, he told them this, the army, here they are attacking the Israelites, and he tells them, hey, if they become for war, take them alive. If they come uh, for peace, take them alive. In other words, he said, I don't want you to shoot to kill. I want you to capture the entire nation of Israel and their armies. Now, I, I don't know if you're aware, but if you go into battle and, and one side is looking to kill and the other side is looking to capture, it is not going to end well for the side that is only trying to capture people. Um, that's not how war is fought. And he did that, why? Because he was, the Bible says, drinking himself drunk. Boy, what lesson, and, and I'm not going to preach on this this morning, but how easily I could, that how alcohol will totally destroy your reasoning abilities and cause you to make mistakes in your life that will totally destroy your life if you're not very careful about it. And, uh, and I encourage you to go back and read about it. I could tell you story after story of people who have destroyed their own life and faced time in prison. Why? Because of alcohol. Because they could not leave it alone. And the Bible says, hey, stay away from it. Uh, I, I've, I've preached on it before, and I recommend alcohol like I p recommend playing with poisonous snakes. The Bible says, don't do it. Uh, because at the end, it biteth like a serpent, and it stingeth uh, like an adder. And so we need to be very careful of alcohol. Chapter 20 deals with that and tells you uh, how, how a stupid decision uh, totally destroyed him. Matter of fact, they fled back to their own country, uh, and the Syrians were much larger, could have destroyed probably should have destroyed Israel had that king not made that stupid mistake. And then we see the, the time when they come back the second time, then because they uh, insult God, God fortifies Israel and says, no, you're going to win. And, and they were, are victorious then over that second battle that they had. And that's over the course of two years. And, uh, and so I encourage you to go back and read. That's interesting. And, uh, and we find now in, in 1 Kings 21 that Ahab is now at peace. The kingdom's at peace. Everything is, is calmed down. And, uh, and he leaves the capital and he goes to Jezreel, uh, which would be a, a place of retreat for the king. And he has a, of course, he has a palace there. He has a house there. And, and we see them in Jezreel in, in several occasions. But uh, they're there in Jezreel. And while everything is calm and while there's no wars going on and while everything is, is settled down, uh, he's looking around his palace and he spies this vineyard that is right beside his palace and said, man, that's a beautiful chunk of land. I'd really like to add that to my, my palace and make that part of mine. So he goes to, uh, he goes to Naboth and we find that uh, he goes and uh, asks Naboth 
and he gives Naboth a proposition. Look with me there in verse 1 as we reread what we've already read. He says there, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Verse number 2, And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And we find the proposition of King Ahab. And, uh, and listen, uh, King Ahab really, he gives Naboth a reasonable offer. Uh, he's not being eccentric. He's not being uh, bad. Matter of fact, uh, his reason for wanting to buy it was none other than, hey, it, it sat right by his palace. And he thought, boy, that would be an addition to my palace. It would be good to have it. It would be good to add it to our, our collection and make our palace look a little better. And, uh, and really, he gives uh, a reasonable offer in that he says, uh, hey, if you want, I'll give you a better vineyard for the one that, the, that you're giving me. And, uh, and, of course, that would be reasonable. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're driving uh, a car and somebody comes by and says, hey, I'll give you a better car for your car, uh, man, that's a reasonable offer. Uh, and he says, well, if you'd rather not have, if you really like your car and, and you're fine with your car, then you know what? I'll give you the money, the value of it. Now, this is probably a reasonable offer as well. I mean, you got to think uh, Ahab is a king. And so if you just name the price, the king's like, well, yeah, I got the money. No problem. He's not probably a poor fella. And, uh, and he probably can swing whatever price that Naboth was willing to, uh, to offer. But, uh, but instead, we see that that offer is completely rejected. Look with me in verse number 3. And I want you to note the detail about Naboth's response and how he rejects the offer. He says here in verse number 3, And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me. Right out of the beginning, he says, Hey, listen, God forbids that I would sell this land. He said, it's not possible, go with me to the second part, that I uh, should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And uh, Naboth rejects it, and it was very decisive. Matter of fact, there is no room for negotiation in Naboth's answer. He says right up front, the Lord forbid it me. Closed, period. End of story. We're not dealing. We're not negotiating. It doesn't matter if you give me five vineyards. It doesn't matter if you offer me triple the price of what it is worth. I'm not selling because God forbade me to give away or sell this land that he's given me. Note down in, in Numbers chapter number 36 and verse number 7, and we find that uh, God had forbidden the nation of Israel uh, to sell some of their land of inheritance. The Bible says in Numbers 36, 7, So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his father. 
And so uh, it would seem because Naboth is very concerned about God and God's word and the fact that he would know, hey, God forbids me to sell the land that I received as an inheritance, uh, that, that Naboth was probably one of those Christians in Israel that had not bowed the knee to Baal. Why? Because he was concerned about God's word. He was concerned about what God told him to do. And, and we find that Naboth has a, a great testimony and, uh, and that he is very much so standing for God uh, even in the face of temptation. I, I tell you what, this is a great temptation. I mean, that a, that a fellow would come, the, not just any fella, that the king would come along and say, hey, you know, I want to trade you uh, and I'll give you a better vineyard for what you have. If somebody came by and said, hey, I want to give you a better house uh, than what you have right now, man, uh, how, how fast can I get the moving truck here? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to upgrade? Uh, who wouldn't want to change their field out? Uh, but he says, hey, be, just because it's a good deal doesn't mean it is right by God's word. And so we find that uh, Naboth stands strong and he rejects the offer of King Ahab. And he, and he overcomes that temptation. And how does he overcome it? He overcomes it by the word of God. Hey, listen, that's the same way Jesus overcame temptation in Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says that uh, the devil came to him and tempted him. And he said every single time, it is is written. Listen, you've got to have the Word of God in your heart, and you've got to have the Word of God on your mind to be able to overcome temptation when it comes your way in your life. And we find that Naboth rejected that offer and gave uh, and used the Word of God, the Lord forbid it me. And he knew, hey, it goes against the Word of God. And so we find that uh, that this proposition was a reasonable offer. It was a rejected offer. But I want you to notice the response of Ahab. This is quite amazing there in verse number four. Look with me there. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, look how he quotes him, I will not give thee the inheritance of my father's. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Boy, what a, what a, what a classic response. I mean, you talk about a pouty, whiny crybaby. That is, that is Ahab's response. And I'm not going to eat anything. I'm going to bed and I'm going to pout and I'm going to whine and I'm going to complain because I did not get what I wanted. But I want you to notice as well, even when it's quoted there in verse number three, it totally omits anything to do with God. Ahab, in his mind, he did not hear the Lord forbid it me. He did not uh, understand uh, because really in Ahab's life, what God said didn't mean much. I mean, you look over his life and you'll find that is how he lived his life. He didn't care what God said. I mean, that's why Baal worship was brought in in the first place, because he was did not care what God said. That's why uh, the, the prophets of Baal were taken over. That's why the, the prophets of God had been slain in the nation of Israel, because, uh, because Ahab had no regard for the word of God. 
And we find it's still true in his life. He had no regard and no concern and no uh, understanding that, well, that's what God wants. And all he saw was that Naboth rejected his offer. He didn't care about the reasons. And we find him pouting like a child. And, he, and, and Matthew Henry said it this way. I love how Matthew Henry words it. He said, Paul learned contentment in prison, but Ahab couldn't learn contentment in a palace. Boy, there's a lot of truth to that. And boy, we need to be careful of contentment in our life. Ahab is a great lesson for being content with what we have. And when God closes the door to something, hey, we ought to be content with where we're at in our life. We ought to be careful that we don't become upset uh, because God hasn't given us what we want. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Boy, how we become so enamored with things on the earth. And oh, how a great temptation that would have been. A better vineyard? A bigger place? A, a larger vineyard? Or, or more money? And, and boy, how our eyes start to flash dollar signs and we start to think, wow, you know, I could do this and I could do this and I could do that and, and life would be comfortable and everything would go well. Hey, we ought to be very, very careful that when uh, we start to think that earthly things are the best thing, we've got to be very careful about that. Because they're truly not. And our affection needs to be set on things above, not on things on this earth. We see the proposition of King Ahab. I want you to see the plot of Jezebel. We didn't read this for sake of time, but look with me in verse number 5. And we'll read down through here just once so that we got, to, got the whole idea of what's going on. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is thy spirit so sad? that thou eatest no bread. And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Again, he omits anything to do with God in his, uh, in his response to Jezebel. Verse number 7. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost Thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Verse number 8, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, proclaim a fast and set uh, and set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. Then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And the men of the city, even the elders of the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto him. And as it was written in the letters, which she had sent unto them. You look at this, and it is quite an amazing plot that Jezebel puts together. Ahab is pouting uh, about, the, about his discontentment, not getting his way, not getting what he wanted. And, uh, and we find that even in that pouting, uh, boy, it set him up for the stage of, hey, God is unjust to me. You ought, you ought to be very careful 
When you hit a point in your life and you're discontented and you think, well, God has dealt unfairly in my life. I think that's where Ahab was. And we'll see that he's really kind of uh, privy, even though he was not involved per se. He was responsible in the end. And we see all of that comes back on him. But we ought to be careful that we, we don't have those thoughts of, of discontentment with God in our life. And not only that, we see here, uh, as we look at Jezebel's plot, we see her contempt. Uh, look with me in verse number Six, well, I've already kind of touched on that, uh, that, that as Naboth is telling Jezebel what happened, he completely omits God. And, uh, and listen, he had a contempt for God. So didn't Jezebel. That's obvious uh, in, in a lot of what she says. But, uh, but they, they just, they disdained God's authority and they refused to see it as God's word and God's authority for the reason that Naboth would not sell his land, but rather they put all the, uh, the blame on Ahab for not giving them his property. And the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 27, an unjust man is an abundance abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. In other words, hey, Jezebel and Ahab were wicked people. Naboth was a very just man who honored God and honored God's word, and we find that these two things are very incompatible. Matter of fact, uh, there may have even been despise in, in, in Naboth's heart uh, for the wicked proposition, but I don't know, we don't see that. Uh, not the proposition, but rather the plot uh, that takes place. But there was certainly contempt in, Na in Ahab and Jezebel's life and in their hearts against Naboth for not going against the word of God and giving them what they wanted. What an unbelievable set of circumstances. And we see their contempt for God. Not only their contempt for God, but I want you to notice their contempt even for the position that they held. She said there in verse number 7, look at what it says. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? In other words, she was saying, wait, wait a minute. He, you're mad because he won't give you that vineyard. Aren't you the king of all of Israel? Aren't you the guy in charge? Aren't you the guy with the authority to go in and to take his property? And she had no respect for the office of government that should be used for the people, not against the people. You understand that? And we find that, uh, that there was a contempt for that governmental po uh, power that she had. She saw her position as a place for personal gain. Boy, that, that almost spells out in America today. And, and listen, that's a lot of political corruptness. Not all of them, but I tell you what, many political people see their office as a place for personal gain. But it's funny because if you look at the oath, they're sworn to uphold and to help and take care of the people. Listen, it's just a problem, and it exists today, and it existed back then, and it will exist 20, 50, 100 years from now if the Lord doesn't come back. It's an ongoing problem because man at his heart is corrupt and, uh, and very selfish in all honesty. And so we find that she despised and she had contempt even for her governmental position and thought that she was above everyone else, and there was no reason why they should not have what they they desired. 
So we see her contempt. I want you to see her craftiness. Look with me in verse number 8. Some people are, are very crafty at sin. And so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Nahab. I want you to notice the letters. They were forged. Uh, she did not write letters in her own name. Uh, Ahab did not write the letters. She sat down and she wrote all those letters and then she forged the signature of Ahab. And she went a step further and she took the seal. In those days, the king would have a seal. He would have a ring, a signet that he would wear that would be very specific to him. They'd put a drop of wax on whatever it was and then they would put that seal in it so that you would know, hey, this came from the king. And so she forged his letters. I want you to know that uh, she, in her craftiness, uh, she used the Lord's law uh, and the Lord as the excuse to have Naboth killed. She said, well, let's uh, set him up for blasphemy. Is it the law of God? Uh, if you blaspheme God, that you should be put to death. You should be stoned. And so she used, again, uh, the Lord's name and, and God as a reason to get what she wanted in her life. Boy, that, that's, it's not only crafty, but it spells out outright wickedness to me. I mean, it's just horrible. And then she used the law. Uh, against uh, Naboth to have him killed, and uh, and boy, what a what a wicked uh, plot that she put together. And I want you to notice in verse number eleven the compliance uh, of those that were involved. Look in verse number eleven, and the men of his city, even the elders and nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. She did not just uh, orchestrate all of this by herself in her closet and set it all up to go in motion. She wrote out the letters, but it required the compliance of the elders of the city of Jezreel. These were, uh, again, these were the elders of the city would be the guys that are kind of responsible and in charge of the city, and they would look up to them uh, as people who are looking out for their city. And listen, uh, as many times happens in politics, happened in that day, uh, uh, that she happened to have the guys of Jezreel in her pocket. And she said, hey, you know what? They're going to do what I say. They're going to go right along with it because if they don't, I'm going to smear their career and they're done as elders in Jezreel. And so, uh, so they complied and they went along with all of it. It just amazes me because you look at Naboth and he must have been a good upstanding citizen in Jezreel. And those men must have known that. But for whatever reason, for compliance, for political gain, for power, maybe they wanted to, uh, to move up and, and become a governor in Israel instead of uh, just being over Jezreel, uh, so that they could advance their career, uh, they went ahead and put, uh, put honesty and character to the side and said, hey, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this so that I can maybe get a better position in Jezebel, Jezebel's eyes, and, and maybe I can advance in my career, and maybe I can make more money. It's corrupt politics at its highest, and these nobles of the city were not noble at all. Uh, we find that they were corrupt, and they were very bad. And, uh, and so we find that uh, they went along with it. And then the cruelty, of course, that, uh, that we see that takes place in all of this, that Naboth was innocent. 
There's no doubt about it. He didn't blaspheme God. Uh, that's why they had to get men of, of Belial to testify against him. And, and then, uh, so they slandered him, and then they stoned him, uh, which was not right. And then they stole his land that belonged to him. And listen, I find it interesting, and, and there's a lot there. You can go into it and, and spend more time in it, but Naboth really almost plays out to a type of Christ because he's innocent in everything that he's charged against. He's charged with blasphemy. Isn't that they, what they charged Jesus Christ with? And they brought in men of Belial, wicked liars, to come in and falsely testify against this man, Naboth, and against Jesus Christ and condemned both of them to death. So there's a lot of similarities there and types of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, lastly, the proclamation of Elijah. Jump down to verse number 17, verses 12 down through 16. Really, it plays out exactly as been spelled out uh, according to Jezebel's plan. And, and verse number 17, we find the proclamation of Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed, and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where, the, where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said unto Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Boy, what an incredible passage. We don't have time to go through all of it, but I want you to notice the details uh, of the proclamation of Elijah. Uh, listen, uh, Ahab and Jezebel thought, uh, boy, we got through all of that, and boy, I got this wonderful piece of property, and nobody saw, nobody was the wiser. The plan was executed just according to plan, and, and everyone just played along, and everything went great. But the Bible says there in, in verse number 20, he said, I have found thee. Listen, we remind our kids often that the Bible says in Numbers 32, you can, parents, you want to note this verse down, all right? Uh, Numbers 32, 23, the last part of that verse says, be sure your sin will find you out. Listen, many times we think, well, nobody saw it. We got away with it. Nobody, nobody uh, noticed what was going on, and we got away with it. Listen, be sure your sin will find you out. They thought nobody saw. They thought it was all good and clear, and, and nobody was going to rat them out. After all, they had the highest position in the land, so who was going to hold them responsible? Listen, God sees all. He doesn't miss a beat. And you can be sure that your sin will find you out. Naboth's sin found him out because uh, we find that discovering, uh, Elijah says, I have found thee. We find the deeds. He says, hast thou killed and also taken possession? Uh, listen, Ahab did not throw a single stone. Ahab did not even write those letters that Jezebel sent. Uh, she forged his name. The Bible is very clear about that. But I want you to know this and understand this. Though that he did not throw the stones, though that he did not write the letters or sign them, uh, he was the responsible party, and all of this blows all the way back onto Ahab, and God is holding him responsible 
for everything that took place because he is the leader in Israel. He is the leader of his household. And so uh, we find that God says, hast thou killed and also taken possession? Uh, we find the deal uh, of Ahab. Hast thou sold thyself to do work? The death of Ahab, the dog shall lick thy blood. The dynasty of Ahab ends as God says, listen, every one of your sons is going to die and you will not continue in Israel. Uh, this for a king? That was serious because most kings think, well, you know, the, my, my, uh, my son will take over and reign someday. And that's what they look forward to. And God was telling Ahab, hey, that is not going to happen. Every one of your sons is going to die. And we find the death of Jezebel as well is proclaimed. And, and that uh, uh, the Bible says that, that her, her blood would be licked up by the dogs as well. And her body would be eaten by the dogs. And, and listen, that's, that's a, um, that is a, a strong proclamation against her. Most people want a proper burial, uh, be cremated or be put in the ground or, or be, have their body handled in some form or fashion. Uh, but listen, hers was not. It was, she was going to be killed, and, uh, and the dogs were going to come by and eat her. She would never even make it in a grave. Matter of fact, the, we read about that later, and we find out uh, that only her hands uh, and her feet were left. Everything else was gone. And uh, boy, what a sad story. And we find the details. I want you to know the effects. In verse 27, we won't read it for sake of time, but Ahab has a shallow form of repentance. I looked at that, I read that, and you know what I think about it? I think this, Ahab was sorry he got caught, but he wasn't sorry that he did it. And it was a shallow form of repentance. Oh, he did put on sackcloth. Oh, he did put ashes on his head. Oh, he did, uh, did have a form of, of sorrow that was involved, but it was not a godly repentance. And then there were two witnesses, and you'll have to read these to, to note them, but the Bible, you can note this down in 2 Kings 9, 25 and 26. It talks about Jehu, who was the next king, who was there and witnessed when Elijah came and gave this proclamation to uh, Ahab. And, and we find that out later in 2 Kings 9.25 because he recounts that. And then Bidkar, who was, both of these guys were Ahab's officers, and they heard Elijah's proclamation, and they later said, oh, it's just like the man of God said way back in the garden when we were there, uh, when, when uh, Ahab was there in Naboth's vineyard, and that man of God came by, and he proclaimed that. And uh, boy, it would, have been, it would have done Jehu a world of good to listen to God's uh, advice and God's word. But we find even in his life, he ignored God. And he ended up suffering and he ended up dying. He was not a, uh, the, of the greatest of kings. And, uh, and so, listen, there's so much that's packed in there. We need to learn from God. We need to learn from the word of God. We need to obey the word of God. We need to not be uh, discontented with, with what we have in our life or the, the things that God has given us, but be faithful and thankful for what God has given you. We see Elijah's proclamation. We see Ahab's proposition. We see uh, the, the plot of Jezebel, how wicked and how evil it truly was. And uh, may God help us to... Uh, recognize, hey, there's evil in this world. But may God help us to be content in our lives as Christians, not discontented with God, walking with God, and doing what we ought to do in our lives. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed,
There's a lot of wicked that takes place in that lesson. Listen, there's a wicked in the world today. May God help us to continue to be faithful to God. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the, the fact that we have your word, the fact that we can walk with you. And God, I pray that you would help and bless and encourage and strengthen each Christian that's here. God, maybe there's somebody that does not know you as their own personal Savior. So, God, I pray that they would recognize that Jesus Christ was wrongly accused. He did no sin, but he died on the cross, Father, not because he was guilty, not because of injustice, but ultimately because he chose to die on the cross to pay for our sins. He chose to take our punishment upon himself. And God, I pray that if there's one that does not know you, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you. And God, be saved today. Father, I pray that you would just speak to each and heart, every heart as only you can. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we'll have a moment of invitation. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe it's contentment. Maybe it's discontentment. Maybe it's frustration with the wickedness and injustice that takes place. Listen, it's not new. It's been going on for years, thousands of years. Let's not let it distract us from serving the Lord and doing what's right. Because God does see. God does pay. We need to keep track and make sure that we're on track.